Hello, everyone. Welcome to Total Football Debate, episode seven. As usual, I'm Scott, he's Jace, and we are here to discuss, well, some major events. But spoiler alert, if you are listening and don't know what happened yesterday, if you've been under that rock, that don't I think everyone... Don't put yourself through it. I think everyone's looking for that rock. So if you found it, you are one lucky person. Because if you didn't know already, yes, it's looking like it's going to be at least 56 years of her. Italy beat England in the final, not just by no ordinary means. It just had to be, didn't it, Jace? It just had to be the dreaded penalty shootout. I mean... We called it. We called it. We said it'd be tight. It was. Still a... First of all, I mean, Jace, first of all, how are you, mate? <laughs> how I'm are feeling, you? I'm feeling pretty shit, to be honest. I'm not going to lie. Today's pretty shit. <laughs> but we've decided to change a few things today, Jace. So, obviously, me and you have said multiple times we, we'd like to get someone on and, and, and kind of join us in the discussion. And I guess we've got to say welcome. Cookie, I believe I saw you join. How are you, mate? Hello, boys. How are you doing? Not bad, mate. Jason was given the the wonderful news that an Arsenal fan would be joining the uh, show today. Literally, I'm sure he was ten minutes up ago. And down. <laughs> oh, I, I I think so. More so probably than last night. But yeah, just briefly, you know, we've 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 mentioned that we're going to discuss a couple of things. Firstly, the obvious. We're going to discuss the match because they're actually behind everything that's been going on. Was a match last night. We're then obviously going to discuss not only what unfortunately happened on the pitch, but unfortunately what happened off the pitch. I don't know what was worse. That's the problem. And then obviously we've got a few things regarding the whole tournament in general, which I know you've, uh, I've, I think you've done a little bit of a work on. You know, we're going to touch on a few moments and players and team of the tournament. And then we'll guess, I guess we'll just kind of round it up and, and paint a picture, Jace, as to where total football debate goes from here because I guess more excitingly now we can take a breather and and start looking forward in a month's time to our clubs coming back on the scene but you know for now I think we'll we'll stay on the path and I, I don't know if you agree boys but I guess we better we better acknowledge this like this is almost my confession today finally acknowledging that last night did actually happen so I guess here we go then England won, Italy won. Before we touch on the whole final outcome and things like that, as a final itself, I don't know about you who wants to start, but my first question would be, did it live up to the hype? No. It felt like at times, obviously, the nerves kicked in. It was the longest, most painfulest of nerve-wracking experiences. But when you break down the game, barring that first 20-minute Farrar that we seem to have, which is quite ironic because our goal was from a mistake from Maguire where he looked quite nervous and conceded a corner. For me, England fizzled out fairly quickly. I can't remember in the second half of normal time and in extra time anything that England have done of note. Yeah, well, I'm with you on that one, Jason. I mean, the hype before the game 
I mean, where I was, was absolutely buzzing. You know, it's your first final in 55 years. Everyone's got expectations. Everyone's making their predictions, their bets, everything. Drinks are flowing. The buzz, the hype is getting huge. And once that first goal went in after, what was it, two minutes? And I thought, oh, this, this is our time now. But then the first 15 minutes, I thought this could this could be good 2-3-0 and then it's almost like there was a little switch and all of a sudden it was like Croatia three years ago they just did not know what to do they didn't know whether to go press them high they didn't know whether to let them on I just think they were a little bit clueless and then I can't remember them really attacking or sustain any pressure after half time you know what was weird to me in this whole thing? when Because you, you're, you're absolutely right, both of you. You know, the first half. I mean, I think you're even being a little bit generous, Jay, saying the first half, because I think it got to about 35 minutes even, yeah. and it started to fade. But do you know what confused me more? We started to fade out of the game for no reason of Italy. Italy weren't doing anything. I, did, I just couldn't. We almost started fizzling out of the game because we chose to do it. I don't, I don't understand. It wasn't like, you know, we started shutting down, thinking, Christ, here come Italy, here come Italy. Because I don't know if I was watching the same game as you, but Italy didn't really turn it on until a good 50, 55 minutes. No, so they, they, my they, first question is, what on earth? Was there a message given to the players? Were they scared of what happened in Croatia? Because I personally thought, a goal after two minutes was the perfect thing for the final. I thought, right, that's the right team you want to score early because it's going to encourage Italy to come out of the out of the traps. You know, if it had been the other way round, it, it, there was a chance. I think we touched on it, Chase, that they could have shut up shop and we were in trouble. But I thought, right, that's a great goal. You know, the fans, this is going to be pumping. But for some weird reason, it was like, right, that's it, boys. Let's try and see out the remaining 75 minutes or so. I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was just... It was bizarre. And there's a couple of things for me that stand out with this. There's a couple of things I think Gareth Southgate got wrong in this game. But if we stick to the first half and try and work through this methodically, I don't think the dropping back... I don't believe for a second he would have said to them, get the early goal and shut up shop. The other thing that shocked me about this is in that half an hour, after we scored that goal, Chiellini, Benucci, the Italians at the back, they looked like they were on the ropes. And for a good 15, 20 minutes, we, we looked fairly confident. You know, there was a bit of zip, a bit of, bit of pace to the play. And then out of nowhere, it just kind of... You almost naturally expect it maybe you get to the half an hour mark and you start thinking, right, let's kind of slow it down a bit, get to get to half time. But for me, there's no logical reason as to why we dropped off. So yeah, for me it's baffling, baffling. And still now I can't I can't make sense of it, other than it was a psychological kind of brain fart, I guess, where they just thought, oh, you know, we're 1-0 up, we don't want to lose, and they just naturally drop back. But if Southgate tried to encourage them to open up and be brave in the second half, it certainly, from in my opinion, didn't work. 
But does that come down to a lack of experience in our midfield? No, I can't, I can't condone that. The thing I'll always say about this debate is, yes, they're young, but they all play at Premier League level regularly for their clubs. If it is purely down to experience, then are we wholeheartedly saying that Gareth Southgate's selection was wrong for the whole tournament? Just quickly on that with the Rice and Phillips thing, I think it shows our team in a different light, actually, because if anything, it highlights how, you know, we talk about England always, how players get picked based on what clubs they play for and stuff like that. And to be fair to Gareth, I think, I think he's kind of eradicated that in some sense. And it's been further validated, I think, in this tournament, because I don't know about you, but I actually thought Phillips and Rice were two of, two of the shining lights last night. I thought they actually, especially Rice, I thought they had a great game. And mm-hmm. in all fairness, the whole point that we're making about England being so lacklustre, it, it really didn't have anything to do with Bryce or Phillips. They were given a job no. to do last night, and that was contain Jorginho and Verratti. And I think they've done that perfectly. I think the problem lies, again, like how, more, how many times we've discussed this, in the front line. And again, Jace, we're discussing what the point of Mason Mount was last night. Again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, I did not see Mason Mount involved in any bit of play, even going trying to press forward with Harry Kane and Sterling. You know, there was just no conviction when Benucci and Kalini had the ball. It was almost like them two were just waving and be like, oh, hello, you're there. This sums it up for me. I'll come on to Mason Mount in a second. And you're absolutely right, Scott, going back to the point of the defence and the goalkeeper, and I include Phillips and Rice in this, those, what's that, eight players, including the goalkeeper, could not have played any better. They all done their jobs last night. The one one position we both, we both said we were worried about going into this tournament was the back line, and we said we have no worries about our attacking line. It's going to be, per, you know, the attacking line is a threat. Any one of them could play and it's dangerous. But if there's one thing that stood out, and I, I, you could arguably say it was throughout the whole tournament, it was the two in midfield, the back line, whether it was a five or four, because let's be honest, every time Trippier played, I thought he was superb. And every time Kyle Walker had to go into centre-back, he was superb. When Tyrone Mings had to play at centre-back, he was superb. Maguire came in for Mings, which was very unfortunate superb and Jordan Pickford if there was another shining light it was him last night so I don't think once we can argue that that defense or two in midfield other than maybe having a quiet game Calvin Phillips here or there and Rice I think they were brilliant the whole tournament the problem is literally down to those four or however many ended up being up top Let's, let's put this into context, right? This is the problem. For me, this is the problem of the whole game, and you've just alluded to it perfectly there. Mason Matt, I sat there last night, and I was screaming at the TV in the second half. I could not recall a single positive in that game that he brought England. He's obviously meant to be the link and the ball carrier on the other side of the flank there, and I can't recall a time that he actually made a difference on that side of the field and carried the ball up and got it into the likes of Kane. Because 
One thing Kane was very good at in the first half or the first half an hour is the fact that Kane would drop back into that kind of attacking mid-roll in the pocket, grab the ball, get it out into Sterling. Those two, impeccable. Mount, I can't recall a single moment that he was involved in last night. And not just last night, but in previous games as well. I don't understand his selection being justified. He must be shown something in training, but I, I don't get it. I really don't get it. And is it that he doesn't trust Jack Grealish to do his defensive work? I don't know. I, I really don't, because it baffles me as to why Mount got the nod again, but not only that, played all the way through. It's clear to see that after that first half an hour, the, the kind of the defence and the midfield were connected, but there was not a connect between the midfield and, you know, Rice and Phillips were very good, but the connect between the attack and the midfield was completely off. And I can't comprehend why it took as long as it did to introduce Jack Grealish. I know when he's come on, to be fair, apart from the assist he got from the Germany game, I can't really recall a time that Jack Grealish has come on and impacted the game. So maybe with Southgate, he's thinking the same thing. But I don't understand what Mount has offered all tournament, if I'm completely honest, apart from that first game against Croatia. You know, I don't recall anything. Maybe he's got lucky because the fitness with Foden was a doubt. And obviously Foden, unfortunately, didn't even make the bench. So maybe Foden would have got the nod of Mount ahead of Mount if he was fit. I don't think he would have. And and do you know what? I don't I don't think Southgate's wrong for originally putting faith in Mount because let's not do him an injustice here. Mount was a key figure for Chelsea and has been absolutely superb for Chelsea. And in my opinion, he he's one of the first three players on that team sheet for them. What he's doing at Chelsea is a revelation to come from where he's come from and just you know, he didn't look out of place in that Champions League final. He probably, you know, if anything led that Champions League final and took it by the scruff of the neck. So I have no quarrels with Southgate thinking Mount is that player. But I think you're absolutely right, Jason. I can't remember a moment, you know, we talk about Southgate being quite brutal in, in you know, if you don't, if you don't make an impact, you drop, done. Well, I'm sitting here thinking we're, we're having the same conversation we had about the Denmark game how long it takes for Southgate to realise that wasn't working is what baffles me more. Italy, every second were like taking out key players and like, nope, you've done your bit. Insignia didn't even see extra time. He was off, gone. Don't matter whether you're a big player or not. You know, you've done your job, in comes someone. And I was sitting there going, Bernadeschi's on now, Cristante's on. You know, Locatelli's now on for Verratti. This is our chance to go for it. We just didn't look like we wanted to, you know, no matter what, Sterling could have lost his leg in that game and I don't think he would have been brought off. Harry Kane could have lost both his eyes and he would have probably been given a penalty. You know, he, that's the mentality that I have with England and it, and it drives me up the wall. But, I mean, as I said, you know, trying not to digress a little bit. Firstly, you know, Cookie, what, what did you make of Southgate going to a back five, you know, can you say he got that wrong or did he, to be fair, identify something maybe we all didn't see because it looked like it started with absolute fire. Yeah, I predicted that they were going to pick a back five because the way Italy play, this is a different Italy right now. I mean, I haven't seen Italy ever be this attacking 
have got the threat that they have going forward ever in tournament form. We know about their defence. You know, they, they could sit 10 men behind the ball, 120 minutes and beyond. But them as an attacking force, and I think Southgate realised it is a final. I'm going to sit back and let them come on to us from the beginning. I think that was the plan. And the fact that first 20 minutes, OK, we'll try and nick a goal. We'll stay in the game. Let them do their thing. We'll hit you on the counter-attack. But the you, fact we got an early goal changed you, things. You think that was his game plan, though, going into that, knowing we've got runners in that team. And you wouldn't think to try and over-run Chiellini and Bonucci. It just seems absolutely... You would think so. For me, that's logic. You know, I would have played a back four personally and kept it going from the Denmark. Because didn't we play a back five against Germany? Yes, yeah, the only other game where we played a back it was five. The only other game we played with a back five against Germany. And I think he thought we're at Wembley, big game, mentality. If it's worked before, it'll work again. To be fair to him, I can't even say it wasn't working because. No, it was working. We stretched, we stretched them. You know, there were moments where Trippier was literally, I mean, he looked like he was social distancing to an extreme. He had no one around him. And I saw more driving forward from John Stones and Harry Maguire did than I did any of the front three. You know, they picked up the ball so many times and started driving forward, trying to sort of threaten Italy in some sense. And a couple of times it worked. And, you, you know, but... Just on that point, I made a note. This is skipping ahead a little bit, but an extra time. I think there was about eight minutes to go. And Chiellini and Bonucci were pressing on the ball and were practically on the halfway line, carrying Italy up the field, looking for that second goal. You know, Chiellini's 37 years old. And still, with the lack of pace, they were still pushing to the point of being up at the halfway line and trying to find the goal. And whilst I agree, Southgate seemingly seemed to have got it right in the first half, he certainly didn't react to the way Italy were playing in the second half, and it looked an absolute mess. Like, he should have reverted. We were missing someone in that midfield. It should have been back to a back four with an extra man in midfield earlier because we just could not get near them in that second half. We had a chance. We had such a big chance for those 30 minutes to get two goals up. And that's what I think is very frustrating right now, that the only blockers were our own reflection. That was the only thing that stopped us in that game. If that um, was a Premier League game, you would have expected a second and third within half an hour. They were rocked. Italy were, they were shell-shocked. They were like, they, the camera panned to Bonucci. Clearly, they didn't know what on earth had happened. You know, there was no stopping it. And I thought, this is it, boys. You've found... You've literally found the weakness within two minutes you know and it and let's be honest Italy took at least half hour to find the solution and we didn't take it that is the problem with the whole game the fact that you know it was evident for minute after minute all the way up to about 30 35 minutes we I kept seeing Shaw get down the line Trippier had the ball multiple times in dangerous positions and we just didn't take that opportunity i'm baffled i'm baffled by it i there's there's no answer to it either this is the problem there is no no tactical analysis that we can do mm. that will answer that question because 
there is no reason whatsoever as to why we shouldn't have gone on and got another got another goal or two in that first half and had it buried. You know, yeah. everything was on our side, the momentum, everything. And it's it's gonna be one of these things that I think for years we're gonna discuss it and just say, why did we not do it? Italy going at half time and you're talking about Barella and Amoble here who have been, you know, consistent for Italy in that tournament. And Barella is very well thought of in Italy. But within the first 10 minutes, both of them are substituted and Cristante and Berardi come on for them, right? They reacted to the fact that in the first half, they weren't good enough. Just on the topic of substitutions, I mean, when you talk about ballsy moments by a manager right and this is this is my problem with England there are there are players there that I don't care what you say are untouchable I mean when you look at Italy's substitutions if you were to name five of their biggest key players you tell me if you'd argue if these five probably aren't those five so you've got Barella Immobile, Chiesa, Insignia, and Verratti. Probably Bar Giorginio, maybe, I'd say. Would you have any argument to say that those five probably weren't their biggest players of the tournament? In my opinion, that's like, you know, well, easily um, throwing in me. Sterling equivalent or Harry Kane equivalent. Well, and they like, took them all off. Yeah. All of them came off. So that's what I was saying. I was sitting there going, bloody hell, 55 minutes in, he basically looked at Immobile and went, nah, you're off. Took him off and brought on Berardi. That's like us taking off Kane after 55 minutes and going, you're just not on it, mate, you know, unfortunately. Because Immobile in Serie A for Lazio is, you know, banging in 20 goals a season. He's easy. You've got Chiesa who came off for Bernadeschi, and I was literally like, Jesus Christ, you're, you're... you know, Bernadeschi's okay, but, you know, he's not anywhere near Chiesa. We had no Insignia or Verratti for the extra time, which is massive, in my opinion. Oh, when Chiesa and went off, I, I, when Chiesa went off, I thought, well, it's ours to lose now, to be honest. Because- it's 100%, 100%. And when you look at our substitution, it strikes me as scared tactical changes. You took off Kieran Trippier. For Saka, probably could argue that one was fair. He's probably looked at it and gone, right, we need to go four at the back. The Jordan Henderson one for Declan Rice. I don't know whether Declan Rice was coming off the field more fit than Jordan Henderson was coming on the pitch. I've never seen a player make such little impact or actually make us look worse than the player that actually came off. I think I would have rather Declan Rice on one leg in that game because Henderson looked... This is Dead. Rice was knackered. He did run himself he into was the knackered. ground a little bit. I think he was knackered, and it was the natural substitution. I think it was. I, I well, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll counter that. It would have been a natural substitution if Southgate had acted on the Mason Mount Jack Grealish substitution earlier. Can I just pull something in? And I don't care about age for a second here. Jude Bellingham is sitting on that bench having played 30 games in the Bundesliga and 10 games in the Champions League. 
So in total, he's played 46 games for Borussia Dortmund. Why are we not talking about Jude Bellingham in this conversation? And no one can say to me right now, oh, he's done that because of experience. You never know what would have happened. Because Southgate didn't go for experience when it came to penalties and chucked Saka at the end on that fifth penalty. That wasn't down to experience. It's complete bollocks. Jude Bellingham, he knows enough about him. That's why he got picked for this squad. That is why in the, in the two or three friendlies we had in the build-up to this tournament, he played. And let's make no mistake about it. He was the standout player in those friendlies from what I remember. He was, but, and he was fully deserved. He got his call and up and it was fully deserved. Well, we talk about experience all the time. And do you know what? Uh, and I'll go on to this later, but now, now, now we're here. I'm sick of hearing, oh, but they're too young. They'll learn for next time. How many times when we had that golden generation with Lampard, Cole, Terry, Gerard, Becker, how many times did we sit there and say, oh, they were young, they'll gel next time? Are we going to be forever the what if? If you're lining up with a five-man defence, as, as horrible as it would have been, why do you need to have Rice and Calvin Phillips in that midfield? What kind of message is that sending to Italy? Because let's be fair, Italy line up with Barella, Jorginho and Verratti. That's one holding, one sitting who just sits in the pocket and one attacking. We've basically lined up with three centre-backs, two holding mids and two wing-backs who you would imagine would say defence comes before attack. So we've technically lined up with seven of our 10 outfield players as defenders. Now, my question is, if you line up with five at the back, there is no reason whatsoever why you should ever need to have Declan Rice and Calvin Phillips in that centre midfield. There is no reason because if you can't contain Italy with five defenders and one holding mid, you've got a problem. So that would have been my, I wouldn't even, I don't even think we need to argue the Henderson substitution as an excuse to play someone more attack minded next to, I understand why he didn't do it because I said, you know, the final is not a time you want to mess around with it, but this is where Southgate, and I think this comes down to, he, he was willing to change a lot of the front line, but the one thing he didn't really tinker with was, what if I do this? What if I do that? And I think he needs to just play around with it a little bit and gauge different options during games whereby the implications might not be as drastic because... Now we're sitting there thinking, shit, what if maybe, you know, Declan Rice, fair enough, he could drop in when one of the other centre-backs maybe gone forward. So my question would have been, Calvin Phillips maybe could have sat out a couple of games. The what-ifs are, are endless. I mean, you know, we got to the end of the first half. The goal went in. Great goal, let's be fair. Cookie, was the beer everywhere when that goal went in? Oh, it went flying everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Shirts ruined for days. There was a uh, full glass by the end of them. We all celebrated. Yeah, I'm not surprised when you see all the box park celebrations and things like that. I'm not surprised. Beer went everywhere. I mean, all right. So we hit second half. Benucci gets the goal. I think we we touched on that enough. Now, Chiellini, was it a red? I mean, that's probably one of the most blatant red cards I've ever seen. 
I've seen the images over and over and the replays over and over. And the more I've seen it, the more I've gone, Jesus Christ, it was borderline assault. But that was assault. Initially, I'm not going to lie, and I might be controversial here, Jace, but when I first saw it, I, I turned to, because my partner went, that's a red card. And I said, nah, it's not. It was a tactical, it's on the halfway, it's tactical foul. He's pulled him back. I, yes, it was a, don't get me wrong, it was, an, it was a tug of the shirt. I mean, he literally ripped his head off. But I mean, at the end of the day, it was a pull of the shirt. And was it tactical genius, Jace, or was it borderline assault? Right. Again, I'm going to be controversial. I, I don't think it was a red card. I think it was a clever tactical foul. I hear what you're saying. He's but not do you not think Saka would not, outpace him and go through one on one? But. It, well, you can't say he's going to be through one-on-one because there's still two defenders on the right side of Saka and then the goalkeeper. So if you include the goalkeeper, you've still got three defensive players ahead of him. But even if you take the goalkeeper out of it, I'm afraid to say that you've still got Benucci because, look, there's an argument. If he skips past Chiellini, Benucci runs across and De Lorenzo. So he's still got two defenders to beat. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're opening yourself up to a massive, massive, controversial move if you send Chiellini off there, because then you start opening your opening the discussion to well, is a player that just swipes at another player to take him out? It's a shirt pull at the end of the day. It's not aggressive. I mean, it looks worse than it is because it's kind of top of the neck, but it's a shirt pull. I mean, I'll tell you now, Saka. There is no way, even if he got through, there's no way Saka scores. He's still got a lot to work to do. And I think probably that's what Scott's getting at. And I think that's why Chiellini's actually been quite clever because it's just after the halfway line. There's still two Italian defenders in sight. And it, and it is not. It is so not. you're saying if that was Raheem Sterling, that would have been different? No, absolutely not. I am saying to you 100%, you cannot turn around and say he's been denied a clear goal scoring opportunity. My only thing, and Cookie, this is where I'm trying to I'm trying to argue both sides of the table a little bit here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say I, I don't personally think it's a red card, but I'm gonna also touch on a few points as to where Chiellini's being very dangerous with this move here. Because the reason I don't think it's a red card is is simply because you know he wasn't last man. You know, if if he if that was him taking a little flick out with his leg or a tug of the shirt anywhere else on that shirt, it would have been like an any other day tackle whereby we just brush it off and go yeah he's been booked I think the referees are opening themselves up massively if they start sending players off for doing their moves because we see them day in day out my only argue for what you're saying Cookie is in and I might be wrong here but for some reason I feel like in rugby a tug of the shirt around the throat is deemed in a sport that's so physical dangerous I'm sure it is and you could argue that that is dangerous what he's done because he has literally and when you watch it in full speed he has and I say it tongue-in-cheek but I would not have been surprised if if Saka's head came rolling off because he tugged it so hard it's it's one of those where whilst I will stick to my guns and side with Jason say I don't think it's a red card. It's one of them where it wouldn't surprise me if this incident is put on the table in front of officials and said, 
do we need to reconsider whether this is deemed dangerous play because it is above the shoulders? If he, because unless he could have pulled his back, he could have pulled the back of his shirt, he could have ripped his shirt off if he really wanted to. But the fact that he's pulled at the back of the collar, he's, he's gone from his, from his throat. It is very dangerous. It is, and do you know what? It's one of those situations where you ask five different referees, and they all would have done probably different things. Look, I'm I'm conscious. You know, we've we've been talking about this this whole topic, and I, I guess we've got to do it. So. Let's discuss the penalties. I mean, firstly, obviously, taking your emotions out, how did you feel, just briefly, going into the penalty shootout? Was you straight away unnerved, or did you feel, actually, we were potentially in a good position to win that? No, I thought we... The minute I felt we lost it, and I'm sorry to come across as negative as I am here, but the minute, for me, he brought off Henderson and Walker for both Rashford and Sancho... The minute that happened, for me, it was game over. Because basically what you're saying there is, right, you two are on, you have to score your penalties because that's what you're on to do. The pressure in itself to step up and take a penalty in a knockout tournament, whether it be a round of 16 game, quarterfinal, whatever, is big enough. Amplify that by a 1,000 when it's a cup final times by a million when it's 55 years since your country's last major trophy. Then you add in the fact that, so you've got all that pressure and then he turns around to you and say, right, you two on and you're on purely for penalties and you've not had a kick of the ball of the game. I think that was an absolute disaster. And, as a, and this is what I was alluding to earlier in the pod when I said Southgate's got a lot of things right but there's a couple of things, big calls he got wrong in this game. One was changing it earlier in the game as a whole to get a grip on Italy and the way they changed the game. Two is the handling. I'm sorry, the way the penalties were handled were, to a point, abysmal. I can't understate that enough. I really can't. And look, I don't mean to come across as a Burke here, I think, and I will say now, every single one of those players have done this country proud this tournament. But I do not buy, I do not buy for one second that that penalty order and selection was based off the back of training. Now, I know they keep a lot of data on the penalties. I know over the last three or four years, it's something they keep a keen, close eye on in training. It's been more documented for various reasons. But I don't believe for a second any manager in a knockout game truly, truly lays all their cards out on the table for penalties based on training. Because for me, it's a very much in-the-moment situation. So I don't know. I think he, he said that last night as the conservative approach to take the pressure off the players, which is the right approach. But I don't believe for a second that was all purely justified based on what they decided in the training pitch. And for Saka, he's got all my respect in the world. 19 years old, first major tournament, doesn't take penalties regularly for Arsenal. But the fact that he had the balls, and it disgusts me, and again, I'm not going to go into it now, we'll talk about it later, the abuse he got. But the fact that he had the courage to stand up before 
other senior members of the team did, and I'm not saying the senior members are to blame and they bottled it, I'm not, but surely, surely, you know, I look at someone like Sterling, who he was in the form of his life in this tournament, and how has he not put his hand forward and said, look, forget what we did in training, boss, I'm ready. I mean, Saka's never taken a penalty for Arsenal. He's not even first choice, second choice. He's probably about eighth or ninth choice at Arsenal to take a penalty. The fact that he he went alone, stood up in front of, what was it, all them fans behind England. Bearing in mind, Pickford has just saved a penalty from Jorginho, of all people. He's had to yeah, work I mean, into that. I mean, when you talk about, you know, I think we're going to come on to it soon, moments of the tournament, you, you're starting to think whether that Jordan Pickford save for that small period of time could have gone down as one of the moments of the tournament. It's one of the I best mean, penalty saves I've seen. Incredible when you, when, you t- when you take into account everything was on the line at that period in time, goes in, you're out. You've got Italy's number one penalty taker coming up and you save it the way you did. It wasn't even a bad penalty, to be fair. No, it wasn't. And it to was palm it on to the save. post, it was a moment, and it, it was so unfortunately short-lived because it deserved to, to be the turnaround. But, but for me, at that um, point, I was expecting Sterling to step up. I He's said to people around... Players. Yeah, absolutely, I absolutely agree. I agree with you, Cook. The moment Sterling doesn't come off, to me... You put your name down to be the first five. You know, there's it's all, and uh, as we say, and I don't want it to come across like I'm giving Sterling a beating here because I don't want to be anywhere near associated with what some of these goons have been saying around the others. But you're one of the key England players and you don't step up. I mean, it wasn't like you can argue for Saka being a better penalty taker than Sterling. As Cookie says, Saka's never taken a penalty before. You know, it's all well and good being at the front and being on the headlines when when all things are good. But if you haven't got the balls to then step up and take a penalty when we need you, I now think that puts Sterling in a negative light because I don't care what your manager says. Are you telling me that Mancini's sitting there going on his notepad, Benucci's my number two penalty taker? Are you saying Southgate's even saying... Maguire's my number two penalty taker. That strikes me. They've turned around and gone, I'm taking one. If I was Sterling and I've just, you know, had the tournament of my life, you know, you've won, what was it? One, two, three games for us. You know, he won two games in the group stage. He scored the first against Germany. You know, I think, did he score against Denmark, was it? Equalize. He, he oh, may as well, he may as well have done. It was an own goal, but he may as well have done. He no. would have been in the position to I score mean, it. You see Jorginho do that. I would have literally taken authority over that and been like, right, this is mine. I'm going to drag us through this. The thing is, I I agree with you. Actually, no, I don't. I'm going to be honest. We're talking about players should have taken the ball off player to say, I should take this penalty. For me, the buck, the buck wholeheartedly stops with a manager. Look, I'm not going to dig players out. You know, we can sit there all day and say, you know, Sterling should have had the balls to do this. Grealish should have had the balls. Grealish- oh, no, we are absolutely nitpicking here at the minimalist detail here. Grealish has come out and said he put his name down for a penalty and won through the penalty. You're in a final of the tournament. There is no way it should take Sterling going up to Saka saying, don't worry, I've got this, taking it off him and going. It comes from the manager. And if I'm the manager, 
and Southgate should know this better than most. Penalties cannot be accounted for in training. I don't care what you say, but you can have the best penalty record in the world. Harry Kane does not miss penalties. But Jorginho, I've never seen him miss a penalty until then. In that moment against Denmark, Harry Kane missed because the pressure is insurmountable. You can't train yourself for that. You can't. And if I'm Gareth Southgate, I'm saying, look, lads, no matter what, I want the best players. So if I'm in that huddle when there's the penalties on, I'm looking at Harry Kane. I'm saying, I want you. Sterling, you've been on your form of your life. I want you as my penalty taker. And then after that, you're thinking, you've got Grealish. Grealish is confident boy. You know, he wants to prove a point of England. I'm going to give him that. Because at the very least, all of your attacking players should be taking those penalties, in my opinion, right? So there you've got Sterling, Kane and Grealish. And then I'm looking at the back line and you've got Harry Maguire, who's like, yeah, I'll come forward, I'll take one. And then if I'm Southgate, I'm looking at Stones, ball-playing defenders, scored one for me before. Yeah, I'll have him. And then you've got likes of Shaw. Now, I know it's easier said than done, but the fact that we've had five penalties taken and Grealish, Sterling, Shaw and John Stones haven't had one, I, I think I think is criminal. And well, I'm, I'm saying in real time, after that monumental save by Pickford or Jorginho, because I was sitting there with 80 others thinking, Jorginho stepping up, oh, that's game over. You know, you're expecting to score. And he does that. Does Sterling, Grealish or the senior ones go to the manager quickly and be like, right, are you sure you want Saka as number five? I don't, I don't think you can... To be honest, the minute you get players going to the manager saying, are you sure you want Sakura's number five? And if he says, yeah, OK, I'll change it, you go ahead, you lose the draft. I think if I'm right, are, are you allowed to? Or do they have to hand in I think they have to slips? Do they have to hand in beforehand? I don't I don't actually know, but um, I, I, for some reason, feel I like that is something that happens where they well, hand okay. in who they're... Look, I, I just... Uh, we can argue it to the cows come home, the... the fact is it's over you can argue how poor the penalties were I don't know if you've seen it but you know I'll, I'll quickly read what Marcus Rashford has recently in the last couple of hours posted I don't know if you either of you have heard this but it's quite deep so I will read it out and then you know I'm conscious we might have overrun a fair bit so Marcus Rashford posted on his Twitter I don't even know where to start and I don't know how to put into words how I'm feeling at this exact time I've had a difficult season. I think that's been clear for everyone to see. And I probably went into that final with a lack of confidence. I've always backed myself for a penalty, but something didn't feel quite right. During the long run up, I was saving myself a bit of time. And unfortunately, the result was not what I wanted. I felt as though I had let my teammates down. I felt as if I'd let everyone down. A penalty was all I'd been asked to contribute for the team. I can score penalties in my sleep, so why not that one? It's been playing in my head over and over since I struck the ball and there's probably not a word to describe how it feels. Final, 55 years, one penalty, history. All I can say is sorry. I wish it had gone quite differently. Whilst I continue to say sorry, I want to shout out my teammates. This summer has been one of the best camps I've ever experienced and you've all played a role in that. A brotherhood has been built that is unbreakable. Your success is my success. Your failures are mine. I've grown into a sport where I expect to read things written about myself, whether it be the colour of my skin, where I grew up, or most recently, how I decide to act. So I think it's quite deep. I think the penalty run-up 
you know, did look like he he really didn't know. It took him an age. I don't know if you remember him standing there. It seemed to go on forever. I feel sorry for him. I really do. Look, if they scored, they were heroes, and ultimately they didn't, and they're the villains. But it's not it's not of their own making. You know, the, the pressure is insurmountable, and they certainly don't deserve, along with Saka, the, the abuse they've got. I mean, it's a disgrace. It really is a disgrace. It's yeah, I mean, let's, let's, let's keep this bit short then. I mean, firstly, you know, I don't. I don't think we need to come around to all three of our opinions on on what's been said to to the three players. It's disgusting. I'm embarrassed so much. So it's situations like this. And please, boys, if you, if you don't want me speaking for you in what I'm saying here, then you know you can jump in and, and add a little bit. But these are reasons sometimes, and and I, I, it's not even just the outcome of the final. It's it was the whole day and hearing about what was going on firstly in Leicester Square, then hearing what was going on at Wembley before the game with fans storming the stadium, fans fighting one another in the stadium. Then, obviously, what happened after the game with racial abuse and and stuff like that. It's things like this where, as much as I want England to end that pain, it's times like this where I actually sometimes sit there and go, do you know what? Fuck you. I just don't think... I ever want to see that kind of behaviour rewarded in, in some sense. And I know we don't want players to sort of fail for reasons out of their control, but I mean, how many times do we see this? And, you know, we, we were worried about what was going to happen in Russia in 2018 and it ended up being a brilliant tournament. You know, the fans under control. I just could not see England ever hosting a tournament. And in a way, I kind of hope that has blown our chances of getting the 2030 World Cup because I, I just don't think we deserve it. I mean, you know, I don't know. As I said, if you if you agree, then just in short sense, say you agree. But I don't know. We deserve everything we get after that. I mean, whilst I appreciate those fans represent a minority of idiots and, you know, I'm not talking about, I know you know, innocent football fans that have followed England far and wide and they don't deserve to lose out or, you know, have the experience they did yesterday. But it's absolutely disgusting. And I I really, really hope the police, the FA, everyone comes together and throws the book at them because they're a disgrace to this country. And, you know, seeing the scenes of them breaking down the doors to try and storm the stadium... It's disgusting. And what makes me even more disgusted is you still have people that justify it. I've seen people on Twitter go, well, that's what happens when tickets are for sale for £8,000 and they're taken out of the work, you know, out of the working man's pocket. This ain't about money or getting a ticket. This is about hooligans that have no interest in football other than getting pissed, going to a game and trying to cause trouble. They've got no interest in the football game. It's an absolute joke. And social media need to do more to stamp out. I saw a statement today saying, oh, we're really sorry, but we can't take down every post that uses, I think, the monkey. It's an absolute joke. It's a travesty. Like, every single person that uses social media to aim racist abuse or any form of abuse to anyone should be banned. I think this goes a lot further than just fans' behaviour. 
I just can't believe how there was no police. I mean, did you see some of them stewards, what they were having to do? There was nothing there. I've seen more police at an Arsenal-Tottenham game than I saw at that European final last night. But as I said, I don't want to linger on it because no, you know, it, it, do, it doesn't deserve the time that we're going to spend on it. I mean, One brief thing I will say is, and it's ironic that in the news we get loads of plaudits for the scenes at Fox Park and stuff like that. And I know people are enjoying that in a controlled environment. And a lot of people that go to these things, you know, do so with the right intent and aren't these self-righteous idiots, I think is the best way of saying it. But are we not at risk of almost through celebrating scenes and chucking beers in the air and stuff and people on buses and jumping on? Are we not glorifying that and therefore... And again, it's the, it's the media that tend to subconsciously influence a lot of the behaviours that we see. But uh, we are a fine line now where actually the mess and the carnage at Wembley, even though these people had no interest in football, the fact that the media have hyped up for so many weeks of everyone getting lagered up at bars and stuff and beers in the air and this, that and the other, isn't that a green light for stupidity? Yeah, I do, I do. I do think it encourages people that usually would have no interest in doing that to now do it. Yeah, exactly. because it's 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 part of a spectacle. So I get that. I mean, if I went to one of them box parts now, I'd be thinking, right, when this ball goes in, everyone's throwing their beer in the air, right? Like that is what happens now. It's it's not like oh, you've taken a risk and thrown your drink or thrown your. I'm almost thinking I'd be one of the only ones not doing it. I mean, I don't know about you, Cook, but I don't know if you feel the same, but that's how it comes across to me. And it clearly happened in the pub you was in last night, um, (laughs) even with 80 people. So, I mean, what do you you think? I was just going to give a big shout out to those who um, had to clean up after them hooligans. I mean, they were working through the night until, I mean, the pictures of Leicester Square before and after. I mean, that's an incredible job what them people did. The whole country, probably, you're talking of places like Manchester, Liverpool, Bristol, Birmingham, Sheffield. I reckon there's thousands of places that ended up like that, maybe even worse. So just a shout out to all those who made an effort to clean up after that all night. And uh, especially what happened to Marcus Rashford, his um, Muriel. Yeah. I mean, mm. that's a, uh, I don't even want to go there. Don't get me wrong, I think there's more good than bad in terms of respect for players. But unfortunately, there are a lot of very shallow-minded people out there. And, exactly. and you know, even and as we say, you know, there's a lot that you can look into regarding the political messages that have gone out around this and people saying about, you know, why are we still kneeling? And, you know, it's it's gone on for long enough. Well, clearly it's not gone on for long enough because it still isn't in the back of everyone's mind and you know I think it goes a long a lot further back as you say Jason than just racism you know when we're the only country that boos another country's national anthem you know as it as it's going on I think there is a mentality that we have to be these it's almost given us a reputation that we are a hooligan country and we have to live by it and I think there are a lot of problems that are deep within the England core and maybe that will Maybe that will fade out with generations. I don't know, but I think as long as social media is here, I think we're in we're in for a rough ride for the next generation. At the end of the day, it's an, it's a way to get news for for, yeah. for some journalists. You know, as as horrible as it sounds, this is print, this is printing papers. 
what's happened last night. And as long as that always happens, I, I, don't, I don't think it's ever going to be solved. But as we say, you know, let's let's move on and let's get into some fun topics then. So we've got three things now just to add a bit of fun to the end of this this pod. And I, I think it's good that we've got three of us on here because it'd be interesting to see where it goes. I'm trying to think where's, where it might be best to start. So I guess maybe we could we could start with player of the tournament. Cookie, who you gone for? Go on, you start. You're the guest. The I went with Chiesa purely because he was a constant source of problems to everyone who went in Italy's way. Right from the outset. I mean, his drive, his direct play, he was just the hub of everything going forward with Italy. And ultimately, that led them to glory. Side note, I mean, I didn't understand how Donnarumma did get player of the tournament. Because personally, I think, yeah, they conceded four goals. He, he saved 10 shots and three penalties. But did he do anything else? I mean, there was lots more in that team. Oh, he's a had big, big, impact. Big, big presence in that team. I mean, even if you look at him on the penalties yesterday, he makes that goal look so, so small. He, he's, he's going to be incredible for Italy over the years. And oh, probably- don't get me wrong, he will be. But I've gone for who made the most happen and was the centre of everything. I went with Chiesa. Interesting. I mean, I've got to be honest. I mean, I knew a bit about Chiesa before when he was at Fiorentina and then he went to Juventus. Um I'd never admittedly watched him enough, but I've got to be honest, you know, watching him play was enthralling, really. The way he runs, I've never, I said it on the last podcast, didn't I, Jace, about how the strides he makes, he looks so graceful as he runs. He reminds me of almost like how Thierry Henry used to run at players with those long strides, but just ate up so much ground as he was doing it. He was a talent. Shame he got a couple of niggles here and there because he, he kept having to to come off every now and again. But, uh, you know, I can't can't argue that he was, um, you know, integral to that Italy lineup. Jace, who, who you got? I mean, it was a very, very hard choice for me. And I've tried not to be biased, but my player of the tournament, I've gone for one of our own. I've gone for Raheem Sterling. Have you really? Yeah. Interesting. I, wow, you would have thought after listening to the last wow. six podcasts that we've done, Jace, that, you know... <laughs> I thought about it, and he does frustrate me at times. But do you know what? Look, I didn't expect to be talking about him now in the light that we were in podcast one for a start, right? But for a player that was not in great form for Man City going into this tournament, every single game that he's played for England, he has been the vocal point of everything that England have ended up doing in this tournament. And for that, yeah, I'll go for him. Interesting. Um, funny enough, Cook, my my choice is uh, is the man that you said you couldn't, you couldn't believe was given as player of the tournament, but mine was actually Donnarumma. I understand what you're saying, but to come up in the knockout stages, you get Austria, you get Belgium, you get Spain, then you get to England. He was such an integral part in that Italy side. And you, you've got to remember, this guy is 22 years old. He's going to be around for another 15 years easily. He's just and gone to PSG on a free. He's just gone to PSG well. yeah, on a free. I know, I, it blows my mind. It's a 
free transfer. That's but I'll get my head round. This this guy. Yeah, I'll get your head round that. That's Raiola. That is. I don't think anyone. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's yeah, that's it's, true. It's bonkers. But semi-finals, penalty shootout hero, and he's the you know penalty shootout hero in the final as well. And you know a couple of saves he's made in the tournament as well, which looked incredibly easy of easy for him because of the stature of the guy but could have so easily you know had gone in against anyone else and I think he just makes things look too easy so I mean I'll start this time and we'll work backwards the other way my moment of the tournament was actually one single match and there was a couple that it could have been I could have named Croatia against Spain but I just, I just think we've got to give it to Switzerland v France, and yeah, as as one of the moments of the tournament. I, mean, I don't, I don't think I've game. seen a game like it. I mean, both of them games on that Monday. I mean, oh, I that day, the, the day was just in insane. And I'm just going to myself, France, Switzerland, go and top it. And I was just like, oh my god. And let's be fair, Switzerland had no right to top it either. They didn't even have a right to make it competitive, let alone game of the tournament but just the whole spectacle of that match was just incredible to knock out who were arguably the favourites in the manner that they did and for it to go to you know penalties as well and have Mbappe miss the penalty was a story in itself it just created one of them moments where I will always remember that match as just an unreal game to watch so that's my moment of the tournament that kind of gives an example as to how moments can be defined differently Jace moment of the tournament moment of the tournament I've put Denmark I think Mm, a number of different reasons I'd imagine I mean well just for the fact I mean given obviously the moment was the unfortunate incident that involved Ericsson in that first game but if you just take that for a second in context, first game, you lose your best playmaker, essentially staring near death in the face at one point because we obviously didn't know he was gonna whether or not he was gonna make it through and what the hell was going on at the time. So not only were they, you know, had that to deal with and the emotional trauma that comes with that, they then, if you cast your mind, it seems like ages ago now, but if you cast your mind all the way back to that game, they then replayed the game and they lost to Finland 1-0. It would have been very easy for them just to kind of cop out and then, you know, scrape through or, you know, just not go through at all and just everything that had happened. But the fact that they got all the way to the semi-final, and let's face it, for large chunks of the game against England, they were the better team. So for me, the moment of the tournament was Denmark. The fact that they had all that trauma in the first game, came through it and used that as a way to... I mean, let's not kid ourselves. They very, very, very nearly had this out of the tournament. And what a story that would have been had they got to the final. Amazing, amazing moment. And all without their best playmaker as well, or their only kind of Mm. certified playmaker. So I don't think that should be understated either. And Cookie, your your moment of the tournament, what have you gone for? See, now I've gone for a moment that got me into the tournament. One is something that I haven't seen happen in a tournament for ages. Patrick Schick's goal against Scotland. <laughs> yes. I mean, the audacity to... I mean, the ball's come out, Scotland take a shot, and he's looked up at the goalkeeper and be like, right, I'm having this. I've never seen a shot like anything like it. He's hit it with the intent 
of trying to lob the keeper, but he gets so much swerve and dip on it that it's actually hit the back of the net. It hasn't just gone in the goal, it's hit the back of the net. I think you're fair to identify the fact that the ball didn't even bounce. It, it just went straight in. You know, that that's that takes some doing. When you think of a... You remember where you were when you saw that ball go in. It was it was ridiculous. So, yeah, good shout. Good shout on the shit one. Right, here we go then. So, 11 of the tournament. We'll do this position by position. We won't just read our teams out. We'll go down position by position. Have you actually said just fullbacks or have you actually said, no, the right back's got to be a right back, the left back's got to be a left back? How, how have you done it? Yeah, I've done it very seriously. I've taken it very, very seriously. Okay, fair enough. That's fine. <laughs> I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not, to be honest. Um, it very, very yeah, I've, gone, I've gone right back for right back, left back for yeah, left same. back. Yeah, that's same. What, that's what I've done. And then I guess the next question was, how have you lined them up? Because I've gone by the most common formation, which was a 4-3-3. That was how yeah, I've done it. Exactly the same. Exactly the same. Okay. Cookie? Yeah, 4-3-3. <laughs> Good. Okay, makes it so easy. Thanks, boys. It's like we almost planned it. So... Goalkeeper then, well, I guess I better do mine because it would be stupid of me to name him player of the tournament and then not put him in my goalkeeping position. I've obviously gone Donnarumma. Jace? Donnarumma, but I did have a slash next to his name and Jordan Pickford as well. But we're, we're going we're gonna to remove that slash, so who are you going for? I'll go Donnarumma. Cookie? I've gone Donnarumma, but Sommer was a close second. Yeah, good shout, good shout. That that's that one wrapped up nice and easy. Right, here we go then. And just as I say, right, I'm actually coming on to right back. So, Cookie, who's your right back? Spinazzola of Italy. He dragged oh. them all the way through, and he was immense. He didn't put a step wrong. Well, I actually put Spinazzola at left back. I think there's a little bit of sneaky the snare putting him at right back. To be honest. <laughs> I think he did actually play at left back because Di Lorenzo was there right back the whole way through because Emerson came in at left back, didn't he, and replaced him? Exactly. Spinazzolo. Oh, oh um, Cookie, what are you going to do now? Lack of, lack of reason. Right back. I thought he played right back. <laughs> so you're going to have to. You're going to have to make... So I'll give you about 30 seconds to see if you can do a quick shuffle on whether... He takes your left back spot and then you find a right back or not. So let's let's see where you get on. I'll come back to you in a moment. Jace, who you got at right back then? Oh yeah, let's get back for right back for those that have done it properly. Yeah. Um <laughs> so, <such> a dick. <laughs> have a word with him, Chuck. Have a word with him. I'm waving my fingers at him, don't worry. <laughs> I've gone for I don't have a clue how you pronounce his name, but the Danish right back, Mahale. Oh Mela. Mela, that's Mayla. It. see now I and he got assisted uh, for him, by the way. That assist he, he did. Goal. I don't know if uh, if you get where I'm going with this, Jace, but what flank did he get that assist of the tournament on? <laughs> he got that on the left. <laughs> he, I think he was actually their left wing back, funny enough. <laughs> <laughs> but he's played both left back and right back, but predominantly he's known as a right back. So, Is he? Are you are you hundred percent on that one? I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure that you're you're hundred percent on that one. 
Yeah, well, one of the football sites had him as right back of the tournament on the goal.com as well or whatever. So I think I did see that, but then again, I, I did I did wonder whether that... And that's why I raised the question as to whether we were just saying fullbacks or not, because I, I was led to believe that they might have just been placing fullbacks anywhere. But I do think he does actually play right back for Atalanta. So I'll, I'll let you have that one, Jace, just in case... Cookie, have you managed to sort out your fullback issues? See, I keep Ben Azzola as a right back because I've got Luke Shaw as my left back. No, you, you... <laughs> get him off this pod. <laughs> he's, he's he's breaking the rules. He's had enough. He's like, no, nope, I'm having it. I'm having it. Azzola right did not play right back for Italy. He played left back. <laughs> So oh, this, this is controversial now. This is controversial. That's um, outrageous. But he's a right back, though. He, well, he's definitely a left back for, for Italy. Italy. He's played at left back and he's been linking up with Insignia, who is on the left. He is correct. So I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to ask you in a, in a moment who's going to be your left back out of Spinazzola and Luke Shaw now because you, you've really dug a hole for yourself on that one. My right back was a bit of a forgotten one. I've got to be honest, I was really considering throwing in Carl Walker in there because I thought he had a great tournament, but I didn't want to show too much bias. So I've actually gone a bit left field. Wasn't in the tournament for too long, but I've actually gone for Dumfries at right back. Oh, fair. The Netherlands. Yeah. Right yeah. I think, you know, considering... Let's be honest, Nebron's got as far as they got probably because of him. I thought he had a great little tournament for as little time as he was in it. But yeah, I thought he was he was worthy of getting the right back slot because I thought the impact he made in the time he was in the tournament was actually quite massive, to be honest. So yeah, that's that's my right back. Cookie, again, <laughs> have you sorted out your right back, left back issues? I'm still sticking with it. <laughs> I'm not being bullied into making Spinazzola a left back. We can't wait. We can't wait for, for you to correct that one. But yeah, when you actually look at the lineups on whatever one it is, live score, who scored or anything, Di Lorenzo has been there right back the whole tournament. Even when so you I think him, that's. Even when you look at him online, it says an Italian footballer who plays on the left hand side of midfield or wing back. <laughs> in cookies, in cookies. I've got it as the right hand side. Maybe because you're looking at it the other way, though. This so, I don't know. It's a back and forward. I'll put a poll on there. Maybe I'll put a poll on the two football debate as to where does Spinet Solar play. Who's just your to clarify. right back of the tournament? My right back of the tournament is a guy that didn't play a single minute at right back for the tournament. I tell you what, you are. You are terrible. You are. You need to be muted. All right. If I could mute you for a second, Jace, yeah, I would. Cookie, that, that's disgraceful. <laughs> All right, well, look, look. I feel like let, let him have it. number 10 because he he done well in the pocket he did against Italy. Hey, I'm not I'm not I'm not even gonna lie. If you, if someone had said they would have happily put Harry Kane in centre midfield, I would have had more of an argument for Spinazzola being at right back than I would Harry Kane in midfield because he spent <laughs> half the tournament in midfield. <laughs> um so anyway, left back, I think Cookie, I heard you say Luke Shaw was your left back. And I, I'd have to agree with you. I went with Luke Shaw for left back. I, I don't think I could, I can argue that one, especially what he done in the final. So, Jace, who's your left back? Close run thing. Spinazzola was my choice, but obviously he got injured. So I mm. went for Luke Shaw. 
Okay, so we're unanimous on that one then. Right, centre backs then. So, Cookie, who are your two centre backs? Well, Benucci's definitely one purely for mm-hmm. the impact he made in the final and in the semis as well because he ran that back line. And see, I had a bit of difficulty with this one. Were you struggling with your have... right hand side again, Cookie? <laughs> Here we go. Mute him. Get him side of the centre backs. Does I? I didn't said right centre back or left centre back, but I have gone biased and I have gone with Harry Maguire. Purely because he was so good at set pieces. He did get a goal against Ukraine. I know it was only Ukraine, but we did get stronger throughout the tournament. We were a better team with him in the team. And yeah, I've gone with Maguire. Bit of a testament to him, to be fair, to come in and do as well as he did halfway through, bearing in mind he had to replace Mings, who had done nothing wrong either. Um, So yeah, if anything, that kind of further validates you know, him being in there. But I, I'm not going to lie, I did consider it, putting Maguire in there, but I didn't in the end. I did go Benucci. I do think Benucci just had an awesome tournament. Everyone goes on about Chiellini, but I think oh, Benucci was by far the, the, the better of the two in this tournament. And then my other pick was actually Kier of Denmark. I actually, you know, I I didn't want to pick him just for being a leader off the pitch and doing what he did for Ericsson. But I think to play as well as he did after being so involved in that incident in terms of consoling his partner and leading the players, dealing with the topic in general and then putting in the performances that he did. I know he got the own goal, but as I said, if he wasn't there, Sterling would have tapped it in anyway. So I, I just think he had an awesome tournament to do it with the team that he had around him as well. Yeah, he's my other, he's my other centre back. Jace, I went for Benucci, and I went for, I had to put Chiellini in there as well. The pair of them together are immense. Let's face it, the experience is what pulled Italy over the line in the end. It's like Tweedledum and Tweedledee, isn't it? You wouldn't have one without the mm. other. They're just they're immense. <laughs> It is incredible watching them, you know, that yeah, they, they've been around the for thing, so long as well. At that age as well. The, the thing that gets me about them is they're proper old school defenders who get in there, get stuck in. They know how to play the game. But you know what? They're 34 and 37 years old, respectively. And yesterday was our chance to go up with pace. And even that didn't scare them. And even when Chiellini was, susceptible, was um, exposed to it by Saka, he still had the calmness to deal with it in a cynical kind of pantomime villain way of tugging him and taking the yellow card, which is, I'll stand by it, is genius, absolute genius. And, you know, there's not very many of those defenders around nowadays. When those two retire, it'll be hard to get them back, but they're proper old-school defenders. And as much as I kind of hated the fact that they played a blinder yesterday, they're brilliant. Yeah, I can't argue it, to be honest, so fair play. And then we go on to the three-man midfield. So we will do this one at a time. We won't read them all out in one go. Uh, Jace, who's your first centre midfielder? I've gone for Hoijberg. Nice to see your pronunciation is uh, improving. Uh, <laughs> Hoijberg is in his centre midfield just for being a tank. Yeah, I mean, look, he was he runs non-stop. And he was 
absolutely the engine room in that Danish midfield kept them ticking over. And honestly, again, going back to the way in which they all kind of unified and, you know, got through the game, I can't recall a game that he actually played play badly and all looked susceptible a week. I think he was immense. Yeah, I mean, I'll echo that because I'm glad you've said it because I didn't want to come across as biased, but I did actually put him in mind as well, to be honest, just because of the amount of minutes he's played in club football going into that tournament and playing at the level that he did play at. Um, He showed a bit more to his game in this tournament as well, which I'd never really seen before. He was actually you know, really prolific when it came to sort of assists and and creating play, which I think is going to be interesting when he goes back to Spurs uh, to see how he's utilised there, because he seemed to show a lot more to his game than I thought he had. Cookie, who's your first centre mid? I've gone with one holding midfielder. I've gone with Hoiberg as well. Purely oh, OK, fair he's, enough. He's had to elevate his game after... What happened, unfortunately, with Denmark, um, he was just, he just absolutely bossed it on his own. I mean, I could have gone with Rice or Phillips, but because they worked together to do the dirty work, whereas Hoiberg just did it on his own. Mm. Second midfielder, Cookie, who, who are you going for? I've gone two slightly ahead of him. One is, and I hate to say it because I hate this player so much, I've gone with Verratti. Just because he's that little rat that just gets in there and he just messes everything up. He just breaks up play. He he can create, he's got a pass on him. He's so calm on the ball. Yeah, he's just in there for me. Yeah, I've I've actually gone the other side to Verratti. I actually went with Jorginho simply because I think there's a lot that he does that, funny enough, not a lot of people see to allow players around him to do what they do. He, he just seems to be a really influential figure, even though he doesn't seem to like be that player that pops up on your screen all the time. But he seems to be a key, key, key player for Italy. And he played the most minutes. I, I just think he offers a lot. So Jorginho's in there for me. Jace, who's your second? Uh, Jorginho. Jorginho. Okay, interesting. Yeah, so pretty much more or less the same. Brilliant. And then my, I'll, I'll go on the next one. My third centre midfielder was actually Pedri for Spain to do what he did and control play as much as he did for that Spain side at, what, 18? <sighs> I, I, uh, it's scary. I think when you hear Luis Enrique talking about him, the way he is, and you start to see those comparisons with Iniesta and you start thinking, you know, this player is going to be around for a while. So you know, it was it was a bit of a pleasure to see him in action and see what everyone's talking about. So yeah, he he made my third centre midfield. So I guess he is the more advanced of the of the three. Chase, who who was your your next one? I'll echo you. I went Pedri as well. I think he was immense. Um, it's worth noting as well that I think prior to going into the Euros, I think he only had four senior caps for Spain. So. You know, he wasn't the most experienced by any shout of the imagination in terms of seasoned international. Um, Obviously, he's only 18. This is what stood out for me. So, obviously, in that Italy game, he was absolutely immense. And he completed 65 of the 66 attempted passes in that whole two hours of football. You know, for any young player to influence a game and have such... I mean, obviously, they ultimately ended up losing on penalties, but... 
to have the wherewithal in you at such a young age to dominate the midfield, yeah, I think was immense. Um, and he's definitely going to be, you know, they speak about him in the kind of same context as Iniesta, I think, um, in Spain. So it's going to be interesting to see what he does at club level now and if that, that carries through. Now, I was close with two of them and I nearly picked Paul Pogba. Purely mm. the impact of some of the world-class passing and impact. that goal. Uh, nearly. Hold on. Impact. Nearly. Because he made impact. that. He it was, was one impact. of the few. He was probably the only French player that actually looked come out of that tournament better. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I do know Jace. I'd agree with him on that because one. I thought Pogba made a fool of himself. Griezmann didn't do a lot. They completely underachieved France. But for me, Pogba, Pogba is the reason and the mindset. I agree with you up until that game and that goal he scored was absolutely immense. And even into that game, he was their player of the tournament. But I'd argue it was his slack attitude and his kind of mind tricks afterwards where he was playing tricks and stuff and the arrogance and stuff that lost them the game. Because he well, I'll tell you what, Jace, it doesn't matter because it wasn't your pick. All right. So Hold on, hold what. on. I said let, I was nearly Paul Pogba. Until, oh, well, now you've ruined until, it. Yeah. For what? Until I read back the stats of Pedri and for someone that young to pull off the stats he pulled off, I mean, yeah, I mean, Pedri for me gets that third spot. Oh, we nearly we nearly kicked off there. We nearely kicked I, off, but but they definitely dragged that French team. Cookie, I did I did consider him to be fair. You, you come across very flaky here with your eleven, huh? <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm with Cookie on that one. I actually had him down on my list as as one of the six to consider as a centre mid. Popper, down, but, but I deleted him. Um, he was close. You need that mindset. Yeah, I deleted he him. He's one of the few French players that come out of there looking better than the rest of them. I mean, oh, there was a massive, there was a massive kickoff, wasn't there, between them all? But you're talking about player of the tournament, and he single-handedly probably cost his team the tournament through his attitude and pedestrian attitude after thinking it you could say that about Mbappe as well their star man yeah there's there's a few examples you could give there yeah, about anyone so field games are one and lost in midfield anyway you two I tell you what I'm gonna have to separate you in a bit um who's going first for their two wingers uh I've gone for Chiesa of Italy and Sterling Yes, catch, yeah, snap. All two, all three of us then have gone the same. Interesting, no, that's good. Chiesa and Sterling, I don't think we need to say why because I think we already touched on that in the post match analysis for the final. And then, striker, this is an interesting one. Who have you gone for, Cookie? Who's your striker? See, this, that, this one was difficult as well because it's a choice of about three or four. And I mean, again, but. I'll give you a couple of seconds then to think about it. Jace, who's your striker? He's <laughs> still not decided. See, it's, it's tough. This one. It's tough. He's had all the you... fair. And he's come on, he doesn't know any of his positions. Spinazzola at right back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He still plays <laughs> at right back. <laughs> okay, I'll give my striker then. Seeing as you two can't bloody stop buying. Mine's Schick. For him to do what he did for Czech Republic. I just, I just think, you know, and to get golden joint golden boot says a lot. 
and to bring obviously one of the moments of the tournament as well, I just felt like I'd go down a different path and give it to him. It could have been a number of them though. You're right, Cookie. Um, one player who I definitely, I'd be interested if one of you have picked him, but you know, I've seen a, a lot of reporters team of the tournaments and they've all put Harry Kane in. And I thought, well, I don't know what tournament you were watching, but um, mm. anyway, I don't know. Go on, Cookie. Have you found your strike? Have you narrowed it down or are you still stuck at three of them? I'm still stuck at three of them. <laughs> All right, well, we can't go on to benches. We can't do subs benches as well. So, Jason, who are you going? We, Cookie might be down to two by the time you're done. I put Fernando Torres down because I couldn't decide. Yeah, now wow. One wow. of you give a striker for no, Christ's sake. I, I, I'll be honest, I had Harry Kane down for about an hour. I did have Harry Kane down. I did. But then Terrible. I, I went for... It was between two, so I didn't have four or five or a whole starting eleven of strikers to pick from. Oh, still didn't have one up, though, did you? Me. He is. He's, he's still trying to. He's still trying to rub out the other one. Nah. Come on, who you pick? I actually went for Schick. I went for Schick of Czech Republic as well. Okay, and Cookie. Yeah, Schick as well. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I can't ignore. I mean, I gave him as my moment of the tournament. I think I had it down to Schick and um, Lukaku, I think, was the other one that I was humming and ahhing over. Just, just while we're at it, just while we're at it, Cookie, who were the other three that you had behind Schick? Lukaku, Benzema, and yeah, yeah. Benzema's a good little shout. You forget what he did, considering, you know, yeah, France even the fact exited that quite early. Four, five years. Well, I mean, that is it. That is the Euros done and dusted it feels like an end of an era Jace you know we've not done total football debate without the Euros so it'll be interesting how we lay it out now but we start coming on to club football and this is where Cookie you know you might find yourself if you weren't already on the receiving end of a of a bit of a brutal battering from from the old palace boy yeah it's about to get a whole lot worse when you next come on mate because you know it's this is without you with your allegiances to Arsenal. So it's uh it's gonna get interesting. But what we're gonna do, just for those who haven't caught it on the previous podcast, is in the next, you know, whether it starts on the next one or the one after, but we're actually gonna draw four random teams each week. And whichever teams come out of the hat out of the 20 in the Premier League, they're the ones we've got to talk about on the show and give a prediction as to where they're gonna finish in the league table. So it's going to get a little bit interesting. Try to remain as neutral as possible. You know, Arsenal might not finish 20th in my prediction. They might finish 19th, 18th, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know how we're going to exactly do it. But the Euros has certainly given us a lot to talk about. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good little tournament. It's a shame it didn't come to the perfect end. But um, hey-ho. But yeah, I'll be, I'll be more than happy, Cookie, to have you join us on a few occasions when we do this, you know, you're always Thank welcome. You. Uh, even though Jason, it. he doesn't give you the warm welcome you deserve. Um, Let's just make sure he knows <laughs> his time. from his right backs and doesn't start trying to sell me up the river that, you know, certain players. <laughs> oh, I'm going to drive you mad with my fantasy team then. He's, yeah, but the fantasy team's different. But are you talking about tournament football hey Jason if Marcus Rashford can be a right back for two minutes I'm sure Spinazzola can be a right back for a, for a while eh? let's 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 chill out let's chill your beans but look it's been an absolute pleasure um, covering the Euros uh, on these first seven episodes and uh, Cookie thank you for coming on and 
Martin with your wisdom. And oh, Jason, as always, uh, not so much. Um, but no. You're very welcome, Matt. <laughs> no, it's been an absolute pleasure doing it with you. And um, until next time, I would say thank you all for listening. And we will see you on episode eight. All the best, boys. Yeah. Yeah.